This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. We're going to start everyone Parshas Noah 5784. So here's the Pusik that we're going to talk about today. It's Parag Zion Pusik Dalid. Okay, good job. Parag Zion Pusik Dalid. Kiliyamim Od Shiva. In another seven days, I'm going to make it rain on the ground for 40 days and 40 nights. And I'm going to erase, I'm going to destroy everything that is standing that I've made from on the top, from on top of the land, upon the ground, whatever you want to call it. Now, this is a strange thing. First of all, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said that the Mabal is going to happen in 120 years. To the best of my knowledge, there is no other message given to Noah other than there will be a Mabal 120 years from now. And then HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, wakes up on the day the Mabal is supposed to happen and says to Noah, seven days, you have seven more days that I'm adding on in which the Mabal is going to come. For Noah to have prophesied for 120 years the date that the Mabal is going to come and then for that not to happen would look absolutely silly. For then seven days to be added on, and in those seven days, by the way, he was told to have seven, co- instead of having two animals, which was, he was that's what he was told originally, he was told to have seven each of the kosher animals, seven males and seven females, which we've talked about in a previous time. That's when he told him to go ahead and get them. Seven days before the mobble started, which was actually when the mobble was supposed to start, something is wrong. So the question is, what happened with these seven days? Okay, so the first thing is, the first thing I'm going to go to is, why did HaKadosh Baruch warn them seven days before the mobble happened? The Targum Yonison says it was a last-ditch effort, which I guess makes sense, right? Everything was going really badly. Then all of a sudden, HaKadosh Baruch was like, all right, I know this is it. This is the last seven days. I know everyone's going to do it. If they do tshuva, I'll forgive them. And if not, they're all going to die. This is the last chance. And that's why he said it to them seven days before. And the Abarbanel says that in Pshat as well, the people would have one last chance before the world was destroyed. The Tzor Amor says such a small amount of time left that should have been incentive for them to do tshuva, to daven, to do something, and no one did a thing. It's one thing to say 120 years from now. It's another thing to say it's seven days from now, and it didn't help. Victor Miller points out that it has to be the number seven. Seven, that number, is a testimonial of the greatness of God who created the world in seven days. He maintains the world at all times. Seven is one of the earliest traditions of all of mankind, says the Rev. Victor Miller, which we all know, and therefore the number would be taken seriously. The number would be treated a little bit differently, so it's specifically seven. I'm giving you seven days, not eight, not six, seven days, the same thing that I created the world, just like I created it, I can destroy it. That was the message that he was giving them and the final lesson. However, Rashi says one of the nuttiest things, and he says a medrash, that these seven days were spent in Avelos. There were seven days of Avelos over here over the death of Misu Shelach, the Tzaddik. HaKadosh Baruch Hu had pity on the honor of the great Tzaddik Mr. Shalach, who lived longest living person in the Torah by seven years. Mr. Shalach was 969 when he died. Anybody offhand happen to know who lived 962? 969 is Mr. Shalach, but it was Mr. Shalach, the oldest guy. Who's 962? Just by seven years he's off. It was not 930. Yared. Yared, his grandfather. 
Right, you know, just happens to be random. Anyway, regardless, right, 969 years, right, Kaddish Baruch had pity, and therefore delayed the punishment seven days out of the honor of such a great tzaddik, right? You can count it up, you can figure it out. If you count when Mr. Shelach was born and he died 969 years later, it, it he died in 1656 in the year of the Mabul itself. The Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says the same, it's brought in Avos to Rabbi Nassim and Paraklam and Bez. That's the idea. Seven days were added on for the available of Misu Shalach once he passed away. The man always says, says from here, you see the tremendous mitzvah and the schus that it is to mourn Sadiqim that passed away. If you have a tzaddik that passes away, you must go, you must be involved in that person's avelus. You see that Akash Baruch was willing to withhold his anger for seven days to be able to allow everyone to have the schus to be maspid, such a great man. Had the people thought about it, they should have changed themselves because of it. Nonetheless, they didn't do so. They would have done tshuva, maybe they did. Fortunately, they didn't. Nothing happened. They used the opportunity to abuse Noah and say, you must be wrong. Oh, now you're adding on seven days. You'll add on another seven days, six days from now. That's the idea behind it. They said they used it in a bad fashion, in a bad fashion instead of the right one. Tom Nadas, it's Rav Shermuch, Rav Moshe Sturmbuch, still alive today, says that Perth's people had just gone 120 years without doing tshuva. Noah was going to them daily, and possibly Mr. Shalach as well, going to them daily and asking them to do tshuva. And a Kaddish Baruch who thinks that another seven days is going to do it? Kaddish Baruch who really thought that the death of Mr. Shalach was going to change everybody? All of a sudden, people are going to be like, oh my gosh, he's right. Mr. Shalach died. We better do something about it. He was a very old man, 969 years old, that shouldn't have changed anyone's mind whatsoever. Why in the world would they think that? And he says, yes. Sturmbach says yes. And he says the following, and it's a crazy thought. HaKadosh Baruch who knows that the death of Tzadikim has an effect on people. We may not think that way. We may not realize it because we don't think about it that often. But when somebody passes away who is such a great man, there is a thought of tshuva that goes behind everybody's mind in which they say like, oy vey, if the tzaddik's gone, what's going to be with us? If such a tzaddik died, what is going to be with me? That's a thought that happens to everybody during such a time and people start thinking to themselves, what can I do to emulate such a person? Right? We might, again, this might not be conscious. It might be subconscious. But a Kodesh Baruch who knows it's true. And every time we have a great tzaddik that passes away, or Chaim Knievsky, or Nothing to be think, or Victor Miller, or Rapam, just talking about people that in my lifetime that I remember passed away while I was there. I don't remember Ramosha Feinstein, or Yaakov Kamenetsky, or the Stipler. They were gone when I was too young to remember such a thing. But to remember these people, Rav Shach passing away, Rav Schoenbach says there's no question it had an effect on them, and they ignored it. They absolutely ignored it. It should have done something, and it didn't. The Rugas Abosam says that this can be proven from a Gemara. It's a straight-out Gemara. It's in Hedron, Lamazayim, and the Gemara tells us there were these people, these Baryonin. Baryonin, the word comes from Baryavan. They were like people that believed in Greek philosophy, but literally the word seems to mean that they were strongmen, people that didn't care about what anyone else had to tell them. They did whatever they wanted. These Baryonin lived in the neighborhood of Rebbe Zera. Rebbe Zera was always trying to be of them. He went to them, but never could they be of them. Nothing could happen, no matter what. It didn't happen. He continued to daven for them his whole life, and he told them that he was davening for them his entire life. When he passed away, Rebbe Zera, they said to themselves, until now, the tzaddik's davening for us. Now who's going to do so? And they all became Bali Tshuva. After that point, 
all in the schus of Rabbi Zeira and his death. That could have happened to these people as well. It's always possible, but it didn't. And that's why Now, everybody looks at that idea of before the evil happens, the tzaddik's gone, so the tzaddik doesn't have to see the evil. And that's true, meaning a tzaddik will pass away so that they don't have to be involved in the terrible things that happen afterward. But it's possible that the reason why the tzaddik dies is not just for the tzaddik. It's for the people themselves. When the people see it, they will get that effect on them. They will have been affected by it, and they'll change their nature, which could stop the raw from happening. We think to ourselves, may the tzaddik be a melitz yosher. I have no idea how melitz yoshers work. I don't know what that means. I don't know how the tzaddikim have the ability when they're up in Shemayim, when they can see the MS, to go to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and say, please stop it. I would think that they would be maskim to the plan that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has. I've never fully understood the concept of a Meilitz Yosher. I know we say it, and it's on Haga and Klau Yisrael, and I'm totally acceptant of that, even though I don't understand it because I haven't seen enough or read, learned enough. But the concept should be that it's not about them being the Meilitz Yosher. It's us being Meilitz Yosher for ourselves. We ourselves become better people because of them. I think that's the lesson that the Rug Zabos and the Tamadas wants to get out of this, and it was so important that Akash Baruch pushed off the Mabel for seven days because of it, which is an amazing Amazing idea. Now the Yamaways then says an absolute crazy madrash. The rain began to fall during these seven days of the Avelos of Mesushalach. The rain began to fall so much that it covered up their bodies up until their necks to the point where they were almost drowned. Everybody there, the water just started rising and rising and rising, went up to their necks, and then it stopped and it receded. And of course, what did the people say? The people looked at it and they were just like, see, there's no mobble. There is no mobble. But a Baruch Hu was doing it to test them. They say, you don't get it. I'm about to do this. I'm doing this to you. I'm just giving you one last chance to show them the mobble had arrived. The time for the mobble had arrived. I'm pushing it out because of Mesu Shelach. But during that whole time, Noah is going around and warning everyone and saying, it's six days away. It's five days away. We're four days away. Maybe even did 72 hours, 71 hours, 70 hours. I have no idea if you had a countdown that he put through and that he told everybody about. But he called over to them and to no avail. Nothing happened. That's crazy. Rashi continues that the word ode is another time added on. It's 120 years plus seven. So it's not part of the 120 years. It's added on for them to do tshuva. Sefer Yasher, which is a sefer that really is like a history book, but it's based on Midrashim, says both Noach and Mesushalach were going to the people for all 120 years. Although only Noach got the nevuah, Mesushalach was a tzaddik gummer, and he went with Noach, and he was trying to convince the people to do tshuva along with Noach itself, and both were unsuccessful. They gave speeches, they pleaded with them, they begged, and nobody listened. Nobody wanted to hear a thing. Mesushalach then died right before the mobble happened, seemingly within seven days, right? Not seven days after the original date, whatever it is, but the Sefer Yasher does say that that's what they were doing the entire time. Rav Chaim Paltiel points out in the Pasuk, the Pesukim are very strange around here. If you look at the Pesukim, they seem to be so repetitive that you can't even understand what's going on. It looks like the same thing happens again and again and again. And all the Rishonim catch this, and they all have different ways of answering it. Rav Chaim Paltiel says, even though it seems like Noah went into the Teva twice, Rav Chaim Paltiel says, it's a little bit different. He says the following, and I don't, I, it's such a, like a crazy thing for anyone to say, let alone a Rishon. He says it could be that Noach's birthday was the 10th of Cheshvan. The 10th 
of Kashman. And that was the day they were supposed to enter the Teva, on his 600th birthday. On the birthday of his 600th year. That's when they were supposed to go in, and they were going to enter the Teva, and the Bible was supposed to start on that very day, on his birthday itself. On that day, that's when Mr. Shalach died, and the Gzera was pushed off for seven days in his honor. HaKadosh Baruch who didn't want the Gzera to be bottled completely. So what did he do? He made Noach go into the Teva on the day the Mabal was supposed to start, on the 10th of Cheshvan, on his birthday, on the day decreed for the Mabal to happen. He went in, but nothing happened. The rain was pushed off for seven days, so he came back out. And then was told to go back in seven days later, Yud Zion Cheshvan, when the Mabal really happened, which is a Pella that the Rechaim Paltiel. But nonetheless, he said he went in twice. Yeah, Dave. We don't know. I mean, literally, it could have been that it would have been 600 years. But if Noach lived to the age of around 850, right, you're dealing with around that time, then you're talking, let's say, two-thirds of his life. So the average lifespan nowadays is 80, let's say, like, you know, not counting war, unfortunately, right, around 80, 85, whatever it is. So it would have been around 55 to 60. The assumption is yes, unless you go with the Medrash that in the beginning of, you know, the end of the first parak of Baba Basra that nobody aged yet, that age wasn't really a thing. There could have been, I mean, there's a Nitziv and Rav Yonis and Ibshitz that say people's beards didn't grow white and their hair didn't grow white, but they still had wrinkles. So perhaps they would have resembled a 60-year-old in wrinkles and stuff like that. But it, this is already a kasha. Like, what exactly did people look like back then? Before the Mabal destroyed the earth, it's possible the land did not cause anybody to look older than they were. That they all looked a certain way, and that's that. Your DNA was different, so nobody really resembled identical twins. But nonetheless, they had very, very similar looks. That's what it seems to be. I don't know, but I can't answer that exactly. The Shach says, Mr. Shalach was not a normal person. Listen to these Midrashim that the Shach comes up with. He had a sword called Shalach, which had the shame of Mephorosh engraved on it, and he used to kill 500 Mazikin a day with it. When he died, the sword was buried along with him. It would be a cool sword to have, but I guess it was buried along with them. Right, and that's that. Dumbledore-ish. There may have been other tzaddikim alive during that time, and they all died on the same day that he did, leaving the world bereft of tzaddikim aside from Noah and his children, and that's that. Meaning Mr. Shalach might not have been the only person that died. There could have been tons of tzaddikim that were alive. They didn't deserve to be saved through the, through the Mabel, so therefore they died right before the Mabel, and they were all mourned for. I, I guess that's because they didn't help Noah, or they didn't want to help Noah or anything like that. But Mr. Shalak was the greatest of all of them. Even his death isn't recorded in the Torah, but at least his death is mentioned seemingly by Rashi in the Midrashim and nobody else is there. All Arye says every word that came out of Mr. Shalak's mouth was a praise of Hashem, a muscle of some sort toward Hashem. He would learn 900 Sidre Mishnah in his lifetime. We have a total of around 60, depending on how you count them, right? Give or take, 63, 66, 60, depends on how you look at them, right, all together. But there are 60, he had 900. Once he died, he heard a, they heard a huge voice in the heavens, and they gave a hespid in Shemayim from the Malachim about Mesushalach himself. Tears fell from the Chayos eyes and landed on his cover below. I don't know what those look like, which caused everyone to give him a hespid down here as well. 900 rows. I don't know why the word 900 is mentioned. It was Malachi Asharis gave him a hespid in Shemayim, Right, based on the 
900 Sidre Mishnah that he learned, but I don't know why that number 900, I can't tell you. But that is awesome. That Mr. Shalach was an awesome, awesome person. Now, the Divrei David wonders why Mr. Shalach isn't mentioned. He says, Ki osko reisi tzadik badorezes, says the Pasuk. You, I see as a tzadik in this generation. Why not Mr. Shalach? The guy's killing demons every day. The guy's walking around learning Mishnayis all day long. He's not a tzadik, but Noach is? What could Noach have possibly done greater than Mr. Shalach that he's not mentioned whatsoever? It says, Bidorosov, in his generations, as if no one else was around, right? If he was in a generation of tzadikim, he would have been even better. But he wasn't a generation of tzadikim. Mr. Shalach was alive. Why wasn't he mentioned over here? And what's the problem? This is the Taz, by the way, the Divrei David. He quotes the Ramban, who says, Noach was the only one fit to be saved by the Mabel, even though there were other tzadikim around, even Misushalach, the Ramban quotes him. He doesn't like that answer. The reason why the Divrei David doesn't like that answer is, could it, could it be that Noach had only three sons and daughter-in-laws and they deserved to be saved? Remember, the daughter-in-laws of Noach were Misushalach's grandchildren. And they were the only ones worthy of being saved by anybody else? It seems very strange. He does not answer the question, at least I don't think that Divrei David answered the question properly. And I don't really have a good answer for it. Why is it considered like that's the only people, that he's the only person who possibly survived when it's clear there were other tzaddik and Misushalach was clearly a tzaddik? And I don't get it. I don't get it. Maybe there's something that we're totally missing. Misushalach learned for himself, which maybe he was more selfish about it. Maybe Misushalach didn't care about the people around him. I don't know. I have absolutely no idea. The Talib is just the wording. Ki tzadik. You, I see as a tzadik, really sounds like Mr. Shalach was not a tzadik. The Talib quotes Rav Shach, who says from the Vilna Gon, that the greatness of God's judgment, and we talked about this concept before, and why he's called El Emunav Einavel. The God is filled with Emuna and doesn't do anything wrong. The difference between a judge with a capital J and a judge with a lowercase j is that a regular judge cannot judge people according to their true form. He doesn't know this guy's parents, this guy's kids, this guy's family and friends. He has no idea what the support group the support family behind him are going to be able to do and not do. When he puts him in jail, when a judge, lowercase j, puts someone in jail, that's not punishing just him. It's punishing his whole family. It's punishing his friends. It's punishing his kids. It's punishing his rebellion. It's punishing everybody. Right? That's what a lowercase j judge cannot take into account. This guy deserves to go to jail. He goes to jail. I, but everybody else, not there. Oh, I will call an uppercase J judge, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, takes everyone into account. There is no way that a person can be punished or chas v'shalom die unless everyone deserves to have that punishment. If everyone deserves that punishment, then the uppercase J judge will get involved and make sure that happens. And when it does, it's not ready yet, then you might still live by the grace of God because your kids need you, because your parents need you, because your friends need you, because your family needs you, whatever it is. You might live because of them, but not necessarily because of yourself. That's where the uppercase J gets involved. When a Kaddish Baruch pushed off the entire world's punishment because of Mishushalach's dead death, 
The hespid required for him must have been so important it affected the world. And again, that's the koach of the world and the concept in Kedushan. Ase mitzvah achas. If you do one mitzvah, machria osav es kolon you are forcing the world into one direction. It's possible that misushelach wasn't as great, but because he was that tzaddik who died at that time, it was something that pushed off the entire world to his greatness is something that we all have. We all have that ability to change literally the entire world with one act. It's a possibility that that's what it means. Such a crazy concept, a really crazy concept. That's all from Rav Shach, Rav Elazerman Shach. Yelis Hashachar, Rav Steinman says, the schar for giving a hespid for a great tzaddik is enough to be ma'akif perennius on its own. It holds back bad things from happening. It's based on the Gemara in Sanhedrin, Kuf Chasim Abeis. Kodesh Baruch Hu is malach this man for hespidim, which shows that they did do a form of tshuva. And who knows what happened with that? It could be that every single one of the people that died in the Mabel, because they gave a hespid for Mesushalach, and because they mourned him somewhat properly were able to be misgalgel later on into other nishamos that allowed them to become better people. I can't prove that. I can't tell you that for sure. But perhaps that opportunity was presented to them only because they mourned Mr. Shelach properly. Now, there's so much over here. The Aleph Beis de Ben Sira. If anybody's heard of that, that is a Medrash. Ben Sira is really the son of Yirmiyahu Anavi. They say, right, Yirmiyahu Anavi's son, Ben Sira. He's not part of Tanakh. And yet, somehow, his Sefer is quoted by the Gemara. It's quoted quite a bit. Sometimes even quoted as a Pusik, where it says, Shenamar, and it quotes Aleph Beis de Ben Sira. Either way, it says that Mr. Shelach was actually supposed to die seven days later. But God didn't want him to die in the middle of the Mabel or die in the middle of the Teva. He would have died on the Teva itself or he would have died right during the Mabel if he wouldn't have been able to get on. So he pushed off the Mabel for seven days because of that. You hear that? Seven days pushed off. That's brought in the Torah Shlema. Rav Menachem Kasher brings that measure from Alabez de Mensira. Does Nine Torah ask the Kasher? He says, but obviously God knows when Mr. Shalak was supposed to die. Why make the Mabel on Yud Zion Cheshvan if you knew that Mr. Shalak was supposed to die before then or after then, whatever, at around that time? Why would you do that? Just push off the Mabel a little bit and do it a little bit later. And it must be, he says, that that's the reason why we must say that there must have been an opportunity for them to do tshuva. Hashem saw an opportunity, allowed the people to possibly change, gave them this opportunity, and gave it to them, and unfortunately it didn't happen. Now, there's another Medrash. And I know I'm... Sticking with Midrashim today, there's so many that deal with this Pasuk. Hadar Zakanim, which is one of the Balitosos, says for a Medrash that God waited seven days after these 120 years, right, to mourn the world that was going to be destroyed. He knew that the world was going to be destroyed. So he sat Shiva for the world before it happened. Now we can only sit Shiva after someone dies. Because we don't know if someone's going to die or not. We have absolutely no idea. So no one does this. No one can sit Shiva before somebody passes away. You sit Shiva after the person passes away. The truth is, it makes a lot of sense to mourn the person while they're still alive. Talk about their greatness while they're still alive. Speak about them and say, it's your last seven days on earth. Let's talk about the lessons that you imparted to us. Let's tell you what you, how you improved the world. Who should be there for the Hespit? The guy himself. 
It would be great for the guy himself to hear how he affected other people, how he did things for other people. I know his neshama is there, but he himself isn't. If he himself is there, it makes sense to stay that way. HaKadosh Baruch Hu used these last seven days, right, after the 120 years are up and the mouthful is about to happen, to mourn the world. He sat there, so to speak, crying over the world that was about to be destroyed. There is one other example of this. I actually gave it in a shir three years ago. Nadav and Avihu. When did Nadav and Avihu die? They died on Rosh Chodesh Nisan. The seven days before that, the Kohanim, right, which was Aaron, Elazar, Elazar, Itamar, Nadav, and Avihu, all were separated. For seven days, they were learning how to do the Mishnah, etc. And then on that Rosh Chodesh Nisan, that was their day. On that day, Nadav and Avihu brought their illegal Ketores, and they died. HaKadosh Baruch according to the same Medrash, the Hadr Zakanim says, sat Shiva for seven days knowing that Nadav and Aviyu were going to die. Those seven days before Rosh Chodesh Nisan, he knew the Mishkan was going to be made and that was going to be a happy time for Klai Yisrael and everybody was going to party and they were going to have to party because the Mishkan was being made. That's an awesome Simcha. So he mourned their deaths before they died. Before they died. And that way Aaron, who was a Kohen Gadol and wouldn't be able to mourn their deaths, mourned for those seven days with them before they died. They, he didn't know that they were going to die, but HaKadosh Baruch knew and allowed it to happen. That is a crazy idea. A crazy idea. That if you do know someone who's going to die, then you'd be allowed to mourn them beforehand and not afterward. And obviously, none of us are privy to that. We wouldn't do that. You'd have to be a Navi par excellence. And even a Navi, I don't know, because a Navi, even if he says something bad, it's not a guarantee that something bad is going to happen. Something could happen, they could do tshuva, something could happen, they could live anyway. So you wouldn't do this normally. The only one who can is God. What are you going to say, Dave? Yeah. I mean, we don't know. Not much of an avalus and a sadness. You know, like we didn't sit Shiva. We didn't sit Shiva. It is, yes. But nobody, yeah, maybe I could have who did it that way. I, I, I don't even know what that means, to, so to speak, I mean, to say that, it that, like that. that. So, so, I mean, I'm just making that point, but I mean, really going back, does that apply, apply to like a Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur in the seven days between? Like the time between? Or guess. I guess you'd have to die on Yom Kippur. I don't know. I, honestly, I don't know. I don't know if you can apply this concept. I think it can only be used after the fact. Like after the fact that the world had seven days, you know the Shiva was before. And after the fact that there were seven days before another of you died, you can apply it. No. I don't know. I don't know if Roshan applied that way before Matan Torah. I have no idea. That I can't tell you. Yeah. Yeah. What if it's, I mean, I'm just saying this way. Another of you were not dying. They died. But the seven days before, the people during the mobile were not dying. They just died. You know, that's a difference. We're not dealing with somebody who's dying and you see that they're dying. You're seeing somebody died after seven days. I, I don't know, again, the application of this is almost impossible for a regular situation. And that brings me to another crazy medrash brought by the Shach, the Miam Lues. During these seven days, God gave the people me'ain olam haba. They gave them almost a reward in this world, tremendous pleasures, amazing weather, to show them what they were going to lose through their many sins. He gave them everything. 
awesome weather, awesome everything. Every food tasted a billion times better than it normally did. And maybe that was going to be enough to get them to do tshuva and want them to live longer. Additionally, during these seven days, I don't know how this happened, the sun rose in the west and set in the east to show them that they turned around, like almost as if the world literally started spinning in the wrong direction. Now, the truth is, however the mobble happened, obviously it was a cataclysmic event that allowed the mobble to happen. Whatever happened, something went wrong. So maybe there was something. Maybe there was a massive asteroid that did cause a, a difference in the way that the world turned. I have no idea. Somebody would have to do like something. How could the world start spinning in the other direction and then go in the other direction? Direction. Like, what would have to happen in order to make that happen? I don't know. I have absolutely no idea. The Divrei David is confused by this, but we're not going to go into this right now, right? We're, we're, that, that's something else. I think I put that in the wrong place based on that. But regardless, like, he goes through. But then Tziv says the following. He says, although the rain affected people for 150 days, not just 40, it may have even possibly rained during the entire 150 days, the destruction for anything standing was only during the first 40 days. We don't know what kind of rain anything was over here. So maybe something happened beforehand that caused the 40 days to start raining like crazy. And then after that, during the 150 days after that, there was rain, there just wasn't crazy rain. But that brings us to the next part of the puzzle and the last thing that we're going to really talk about today. Why did it rain for 40 days and 40 nights? That seems to be arbitrary. We all know that Moshe Rabbeinu was on our Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. But is that really the connection over here? Is that there? And the truth is, there is an awesome medrash, Bishagamhu Basor, right? Bishagamhu Basor, that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Noah, he wants to destroy the nation, Bishagam is the gematria of Moshe. And 120 years that was given to them is equal to the 120 years that Moshe Rabbeinu lived to hint that Noah had the opportunity to be Moshe Rabbeinu. Had he convinced the people to do tshuva, he would have given them, instead of a mabel, it would have been the Torah given to them. The waters coming in and destroying the world could have been like the waters of Torah coming in and changing the world. And that was the opportunity for them to have improved everything in their lives and everything would have been different. Noah and Moshe are connected. It's a tedious connection. It's a little strange. But there is a connection between Moshe and Noah. The difference between them is that Noah didn't daven for the people while Moshe Rabbeinu did, which is a story for another time. It's possible that there's a connection. But what is the connection of four? Rashi says, It takes 40 days for a child to form in their mother in its mother's womb. The people sinned so horribly, they caused their creator to form images of mamzerim in mother's stomachs, sinning with Aishas Ish, with women that were already married, and therefore their punishment was the full 40 days. The word Vlad, Vav Lamedalad, is a gematria of 40, to hint to the 40 days that it takes for a baby in the mother's womb to become a child. Dayelas Shachar says, even though there is no such thing as Mamzerim by Goyim, and they were all considered Goyim before the Torah was given, it could be that since Aishas Ish is still forbidden by non-Jews, and there is marriage by non-Jews, therefore it was something disgusting enough, even though it wasn't a real Mamzer, it was like what one would call a Mamzer itself. Rosh says that that shows 
that sins have long-ranging effects on a person. That it affects you for years. Sins from klipos and from ashchisim can injure people and can destroy them. The punishment that he is judged to get, that he was supposed to get, is not simply for the rebellion that he staged, that a person stages against God, but by forcing God to form mechablim, mashchisim, and shadim, that one does with one's sins. You get punished for doing it, you get punished for the creation of destruction that you formed by your sins. And that's part of your punishment, that's part of what you are. We don't realize what we're doing over here. The, the Chassam Silver says this, and it makes so much sense to me. Every time a person says a little bit, a word of Torah, a word of something positive, a word where you're praising someone, the vapor that comes out of your mouth goes into the atmosphere and becomes chemicals. Those chemicals, right, call like little elements of the world, oxygen, hydrogen, they need each other and they form droplets of dew that evaporate into the sky. Those words, if they're kadosh, if they're good, if they're positive, then form rain clouds. And the rain that comes from those rain clouds are positive. The rain is rain of bracha. The rain comes down and it blesses the fields. It does great things. The rain is awesome. But if people speak evil things, if they say terrible things, if they curse and they say bad things about everybody and they're mevatel Torah, then the vapor that comes from their mouths are cursed, which means that forms rain clouds of horrific, whatever it is, horrific mechablin, and the rain that falls is acidic rain. Rain that destroys, rain that does nothing. Says the Chassam Sofer, every time a person speaks, you are literally contributing to the environment being good or bad, to the ozone layer. You are causing destruction of the environment. And when it happens in a good way, you have one. If you happen in a bad way, it's bad. It's all there for you. It's up to you to do it. I think it's all based on this concept of this idea that we're talking about over here. And by the way, that is such a crazy concept to think that someone is going out there trying to save the world who's causing other people to curse them and get angry at them. Like those people in Europe that are sitting down in the middle of highways by rush hour traffic and not allowing anybody to go through and gluing themselves to the pavement, you know, getting themselves out there, causing people to curse them over and over and over again are doing way worse things to the environment than us by drinking plastic Coke bottles. Plastic Coke bottles that you can't get in plastic bags at Jewel, by the way, because plastic is evil. But plastic Coke bottles that they sell at Jewel. Just saying. Okay, anyway, regardless, that's that. That's all from Rav Sternbach, which is an amazing thing. There's others. The Rokach says that there were Motsi Zera Levatala, that they had that issue, and that happened over and over. That's why, because they didn't want to have children, they wanted their wives to not have that issue, so they'd retain their beauty forever. They didn't want children, and they purposely would not be together with their wives in a normal way, and this was their punishment for not having children on purpose and sinning for themselves. They were punished with 40 days and 40 nights. Additionally, in Eov, says the Rokeach, there are 40 punishments, that uh, 40 sins, I'm sorry, that it mentions that the people of the Mabel did. I don't know where that is. We've been through Eve before, but I don't know where that's mentioned specifically, but that's also something that would make sense over here. The Chizkuni gives another two answers. One, he says, this is like Makos Arbayim, Malkus Arbayim, there are 40 lashes, even though we know it's really 39. And he says another answer, that B'nai Yisrael were over on the laws of the Torah, which was given in 40 days. Now, 
I don't know what that means because there was no Bnei Yisrael here. The Torah wasn't given to them. I have no idea how that applies, but it's brought down by the Chizkuni itself, right? It might be something a little bit different. The Torah Shlema quotes that a little bit different, but either way, Berba Soda says that Gezel is the Gematra of 39, Gimel Zion Lamed, and therefore that was what caused them to eventually have the Mabel, and not just Arias, but Gezel, that their final din was mentioned with Gezel, and therefore it was 40 days. Again, 39 and 40 are close. It's a little bit of a strange answer, whatever it is. The Bechor Shore says Noah was told exactly how long it would be, so he wouldn't be pained by just seeing rain and rain and rain and not knowing when it was going to stop, so he had to know when it was going to be. And the Rokeach says, crazy, 40 days is equal to 960 hours. 960 hours. 40 days is 960 hours. 960 lugin is the amount of water that's inside a mikvah. It's as if HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted to cleanse the world and make it into a mikvah itself. Now, very quickly, I'm just going to run through this. These people never received any reward in the world to come. The Balaturim says that the words Hayakum, Asher Sisi is 1452. The same amount as Lo Chaim L'Tchiyas Amesim. They would not get up for Tchiyas Amesim. Gemara Sanhedrin, Kuv Zayin says, Dora Mabal has no chilek in Olam Habal. They will never stand up in judgment in the future. As says, Lo Yadun Ruchi Bahem. They have no din. They have no ruach. Nothing will be there for them. The Rokech Adds that the words, as we said, right? It's considered like the oh, we did this. Hayakum Asheratzisi is the same as Lochan Tzkios Mason. I don't know why I repeated it, right? Because that's considered that they were punished with Dine Gehenim itself. And the Sora Tevos says something. The Balaturim adds on one thing at the very end that I think is unbelievable. He says the word Yakum is also giving a reason why they sinned. It could be that a Kaddish Baruch who gave them tremendous wealth. And they felt that nothing could bring them down. It stemmed from the mindset of, we did it ourselves, we don't need God at all. Same thing happened to Korach, and that's that. It's Hayakum. It's the establishment of what they felt was their own, their own power. We did this our own, we don't need God, and therefore everything was destroyed. It's possible that all of this was regarding this concept, this concept of trying to think that you're better than everybody else, trying to think that you have something that nobody else has. Maybe that's the difference between them. So either way, regardless, we've given three different ideas over here. Either the seven days was added on really to get them to do tshuva. How did they, how did God expect them to do tshuva? Mr. Shalach's death. Mr. Shalach Savelus was just that important. That's the greatness of a tzaddik themselves. We learned quite a bit about the greatness and the tzaddikus of Mr. Shalach himself. It's possible the seven days is also beforehand, in Avelus before it happened. It's possible that Ben Sir is correct, that it was actually pushed off seven days because Mr. Shalach was supposed to die on the Teva and Hashem didn't want it. We spoke about the 40 days and 40 nights and what that punishment could have possibly been. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. HaKadosh Baruch Hu promises us that people that don't care about others, people that didn't listen to HaKadosh Baruch Hu's word for 120 years, were going to be destroyed and not get that punishment. We're not going to live for Tchiyas Mason. Okay, this year, and I know it's late, but I wanted to say it before, but Dave, you weren't here. Is a schus for Rafua Shlema for? Do you have the name? Esther Bas Rachel. Esther Bas Rachel. And... Um, what was it? What did I write on the thing about the sponsorship, guys? It was... That was sponsored anonymously for... Here we go. Sponsored anonymously for in of the protection of Rechayalim and Klai Yisrael at large in the Gula Shlema. Okay? Shkoyach, everybody. Have a great Shabbos.